Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter number four, I'm just going to read a few verses of scripture. And unlike other times, I'm not going to go on and read uh, several verses. I'll just touch on the ones I want to touch on as probably we will finish up chapter four tonight. And that just leaves two chapters, folks. Amen. Ephesians 4, starting with verse 17, the Bible says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Amen. This this evening, my subject matter for the next few moments is this. Mind your walkie-talkie. Mind your walkie-talkie. All right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. This, maybe you'll remember that if you don't remember anything else. Lord Jesus, help us right now. I thank the Lord Jesus for those who have gathered themselves, Lord, to the house of the Lord tonight. I pray, O oh God, let them leave God with understanding they've not gathered, Lord, in vain. But, Lord, we do share, Lord Jesus, from your word. And in those words, Lord, is life, is strength, instruction. Help God for everyday lives. I pray, O oh Lord, tonight, anoint my mind, anoint their minds. Help us, God, to uh, dig in and glean from your word and from your scripture. I pray, oh Lord, we purposefully come here, Lord, with intent. God, we count an honor and a privilege, Lord Jesus, as well. God, that we could build up our most holy faith. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. 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 You may be seated tonight. Mind your walkie-talkie. I sent scriptures to my wife early today because she takes care of media well I say early before I came home and then she said 10-4 good buddy and I said what are you talking about she said well you're the one that started it and then I realized what my subject was mind your walkie-talkie so nevertheless here we are uh, in the beginning of this chapter a couple lessons ago we we spoke at great lengths concerning uh, the apostle Paul admonishing the church to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith they had been called. We have looked in past lessons that Paul has underscored the idea about this is who you were, this is who you are, and now it seems like in chapter 4 he's telling us now to walk as you are. Not as you were, but walk as you are. And so if it isn't enough for him uh, to tell us in the earlier portion of the scripture of how we should walk, Uh, he also begins to tell us with these verses of Scripture how we should not walk. Uh, Because sometimes just as important as someone telling you what to do, sometimes it's important for them to tell you what not, what not to do. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's admonishing the the church, these believers, Gentiles, he's admonishing them not to walk as other Gentiles. So Paul is addressing right here, he's addressing a group of Gentiles whose life has been changed. We have already spoke about this. Both now a Jew and a Gentile are within this one body of Christ, baptized by the same Spirit. And so he's talking to these Gentiles that have 
been revolutionized by the Spirit and the power of God. And as a result of that, he's saying you should be walking differently than what uh, you had once walked. Or you should be walking differently than other Gentiles. Who's these other Gentiles? Well, he's speaking to saved and unsaved Gentiles now. Gentiles that have been saved by the blood of Christ and those that are still unsaved. And so he's talking to the saved group. He says, now don't be walking as they are walking. And he said, who have not been partakers of this grace, who have not had this metamorphosis in their change in their life. And to bring the weight of what Paul is saying, he comes to us in that first verse of verse 17, and he says, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord. Testify in the Lord. In other words, he's speaking, he's wanting them to know that what I'm getting ready to tell you is divine inspiration. I'm not, this is just not Paul's uh, public opinion. This is not just a man. It, it's like whenever someone says, uh, I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you, that's what Paul was saying here. I, God wants me to tell you something. So, you know, come to the edge of your seat, perk up your ears, and listen very well about what I'm about ready to say. And what he addressed was this. Paul addressed a tendency that was in the Ephesian church. And I might even say this is a tendency that is in the church from the beginning of time even up until now. And the tendency of the church is sometimes to walk like or behave like the world. Paul was addressing not something new. This is something that had been addressed at different times through the epistles for the churches to try to get them where they would not have that tendency to walk or behave like the world. Because he knew the nature of humanity, the nature of mankind, because they didn't leave their environment. They're still in Ephesus. They're still the temple to the great goddess Diana. There's still all these different things that are taking place and happening. And they're still in that environment. Now they're just trying to live their life dedicated and given unto the Lord. So they would have an inclination inside of them to revert back to the old familiar ways that they had walked prior to coming to know the Lord. And so he's trying to tell them, don't be doing that. Don't be walking like that. We can ask ourselves even some questions sometimes for on the verge of a church or in our own personal life. It's good every once in a while just for evaluation purposes. Ask yourself, what distinguishes me from the world? As a church, what distinguishes us from the church? Well, some people might uh, underscore the idea, well, it's, the, it's, it's our theology. Well, that's great. But more than just our theology should distinguish us from the world. Amen. Our behavior, to a certain degree, should distinguish us from the world. Wayne Barber, he said it like this. He said, remember, he said, spirituality is a pursuit, not an arrival. Spirituality is a pursuit, not an arrival. This is the reason then why whenever we read of the new converts of the early church, particularly in Acts 2, after that great outpouring of the Spirit in the upper room, that's the reason why we read of the early converts that they just didn't boom. We arrived. The Bible says that they continued in doctrine. They continued in prayers. They continued in fellowship. Why? They understood spirituality wasn't just an arrival, but it was in a pursuit. Uh, they've been received and endued with power from on high, but they knew it didn't stop there. 
They were constantly chasing, constantly pursuing the things that be of God. The writer of Hebrews even tells us in the scripture, it tells us to, to lay the foundation of repentance and those things, but he says, go on. In other words, don't stop there. Uh, you not arrived, you're still in a pursuit in this Christian walk and in this Christian talk. And some of the differences, some of the differences between the Gentiles who were saved and the Gentiles who were unsaved were very simply this in verse number 17. Look, their walk was different. I'm not talking about a literal walk. One had a strut and one seemed to mosey. No, their walk, their walk with God, of course, was different. And then he goes on to begin to speak about their mind. Say it like this, their thought processes were different. And it's amazing to me that as soon as Paul admonishes them on how not to walk, he very quickly reverts then to these concepts that involve the mind or involve thinking. He starts talking about understanding. He starts talking about ignorance or the lack of knowledge. He starts talking about learning. Even so much so in verse 23 of this chapter, Ephesians 4, 23, he talks about and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He was just talking about their walk and moon. He diverts real quickly right to talking about a person's mind, the way that they think, the, uh, their knowledge, their understanding, their learning. You know, the little natural uh, cliche in, in the natural world is that you are what you eat. But in the spiritual world, you are what you think. Thought patterns impact and influence behavioral patterns. Bible says, the Proverbs writer in Proverbs 23 and 7, he says, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks. As a man thinks, he will behave. As a man thinks, so is that man. And so I believe the Apostle Paul talking about their walk being different, saying, well, if you really want to gauge that, you really want to influence that, then we got to go a little deeper. we got to go to the fountainhead of your thoughts because your thoughts are going to impact your walk. And so he goes all the way back there. They tell us, they tell us, science even tells us, that every thought that passes through our mind, it leaves a little impression on our brains, it says. Every thought that goes through our mind. And if we have that thought repeatedly, if we think about that again, that little impression on our brain, our cortex, our thinking matter part of our brain, if we think upon that same thought again, that impression comes a little deeper. And every time we have that same or similar thought, that just gets a little deeper and deeper, in so much so that it almost becomes a little bit more increasing difficult to reroute your thought process concerning that. Amen. So... You get in this mode, uh, uh, old-time writer Charles Reed, he penned these words, and I believe they're acceptable, they're true. He said, you sow a thought and you reap a word. He said, you sow a word and you reap an action. He said, you sow an action, you reap a habit. He said, you sow a habit, you reap a character. He said, you sow a character and you reap a destiny. But its place of origin was with what you started thinking about. Amen. 
you know, we, we, we have instincts as individuals. We're born into the world, and uh, as babies, you know, there are certain things that are just instinctive. We have instincts by nature. They're just there. But a habit is something that we acquire by practice. There is just no habits that come, in, if you could say it, instinctively or that just naturally born as that baby is born. So we have certain instincts, but if you're going to have a habit, it's going to be because you've built that up over time. You've practiced something in some major way that caused that to be a part of your life. Uh, you've thought the same thought so many times that you've dug that rut in your brain and you've made that connection. Uh, to make it almost impossible. That's the reason why whenever new people come to the church, they just come to know the Lord. Uh, they might hear from Bishop or myself, uh, try to encourage them about those practices of prayer and those practices of the Word of God. The reason why we talk about those disciplines constantly, and we're in 24-7 for this year. Uh, 24 minutes a day of prayer and Bible reading seven days a week. The reason why we talk about those disciplines because the word of God and prayer helps direct our thoughts. Amen. And whenever we start getting our thoughts directed, that influences and impacts our walk with God. That's all the way up there. So that's the reason why we talk about those things like 24-7, why we try to underscore the importance to a new convert. You need to have a time of, of devotion in your day where you pray, where you read your Bible. Why? Because you, 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 you need to guide your thoughts. You, you were an other Gentile, and you, you got some ruts in your brain and some thoughts that are there that you need the word and prayer. You need to make some new ruts in your brain. <laughs> we need some people who got some new ruts in their brain, you know. It's going to take some time time to undo what has been done for 30 years if it's been 30 years they live that life and now come to God or 20 years or 16 years but I guarantee you this if you continually given the word and the prayer to it after a while that other thing is going to dissipate away and you're going to have a new venue a new avenue and it's going to affect the way that you walk amen we've oftentimes heard Amen, of the great place of Calvary. It was the battle for the mind. It was Golgotha, the place of the skull or the place of the mind. Amen. And it's right there that that battle was won, that Christ won that battle for the mind, that battle for the skull. Amen. Every action or every walk is all nothing more but a materialized thought. Our walk is a process and is evidence of what we think about. Can I say it like that? Our walk is evidence of what we think about, what we meditate upon, what we ponder upon. The Apostle Paul tells us throughout the Scriptures of Ephesians, or rather Philippians 2 and 5, he admonished the church, he said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul, why are you saying that? Because if you'll get the mind of Christ, you'll get the life of Christ. Amen. He told him in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse number 5. Look what he says. He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Because if you can cause your thoughts to be brought in to obey the Lord, your life, your walk will be in obedience in tandem with the Spirit of Christ. 
Amen. It then is no surprise that the first step in our salvation experience would begin with repentance. Because repentance in its simple definition is this, a change of mind. Or a change, if you will, of thought processes. Our first step for salvation is a changing our thoughts. Because if we don't change our thoughts, our walk will not change. Because as a man thinketh, so is he. So John, the Baptist's message, what was it? Repent. Change your thought processes. Jesus' message, time and time again, what was it? Repent. Change your thought processes. Notice these guys are not, hey, change your walk. Because he knew their walks wouldn't be changed if their thoughts had not been changed. Amen. They was backing up to the real source of everything. And for that matter, truly one of the last words or some of the last words of Jesus Christ that we read of in Scripture, and I'm not talking about red letter words that we read. I'm talking about book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3 that we read. Some of the last words that he spoke to the church was to the five of the seven churches. What was he telling them? Repent. Why? Change your thought process because it will impact your life. It will impact your walk. So the other Gentiles, the other Gentiles, the unsaved Gentiles had a different walk that was influenced by a different thought pattern. As a matter of fact, if you look at the progression in verse number 18, you can almost trace it somewhat backwards. Starting backwards, it speaks of the blindness of their heart. If you work this backwards, the blindness of their heart led to ignorance, or if you will, no knowledge of God. And that absence of knowledge of God separated them from God. And since they were in never close contact or relationship or close to God they couldn't understand him you understand <laughs> didn't we? that just kind of worked like that they couldn't understand him and as a result of that they had skewed thoughts about God that made them have a contrary walk to God but the blindness that they had I believe 2 Corinthians 4 4 you can refer for yourself whenever he spoke about having this treasure in earth and vessels, talking about the glorious light that shined into the people, but the Bible says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. The God of this world. The God of this world is our adversary. The God of this world is the enemy. He came in and blinded their minds, their minds, their thought process. As a result of that, they were ignorant of God. They were separated from God. They did not understand God. Their thoughts were not thoughts that they should have of God, so they walked a life that was contrary to God, all because the God of this world blinded their, They were under the influence of something other than God. They're under the influence of the God of this world. But as the Apostle Paul's talking about all of this to the saved Gentiles, he tells them in verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. Uh -huh. 
He says, you, you have not so learned Christ. He says, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus Christ. And that word if there is not a question, it's a statement. You have heard him. You have been taught by I've been teaching you. I've been preaching. I've been sharing with you. I have been the one that's been the heralder of truth to the Gentiles. So you, you've not so have heard. These other people didn't know about him, separated from him, blinded because of that, unknowledgeable because of that, didn't understand him, walked astray because of that. But I've told you about him. I've told you about his saving power, his grace, his mercy, all of these other things. You have not so learned Christ. I preached it to you. And as a result of that, you have a knowledge of him which has, has bridged the gap for you. Remember the gap they had? Those who were afar off? That's who they were, but they've been brought nigh. Paul told them, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I bridged that. There's not a separation now for you saved Gentiles. I preached to you, I spoke to you, I, I've taken that gap down uh, between you and them and you're now starting to understand God. You understand His ways, understand His desires. And when you understand God, His ways and His desires, that affects your thoughts about God and about your walk because when you know what God's desires are, you want to do whatever is desirable to God. So, so all of this is in back. And so you put off the old. We talked about this along the way. And you put on the new man. You don't have the same walk. It's different. And when we look at verse, verse 19, and this is, this is horrific, speaking of the other Gentiles, the unsaved Gentiles. This is horrid. But the end result of an ungenerated person, unsaved person, with improper thought patterns, they continue in that vein, is coming to a place of being past feeling, being calloused. They can do wrong, but they don't feel like they're doing wrong anymore. They can do whatever they do seemingly without a conscience, without it bothering them. And I want you to notice the, 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 how horrid of a spot that this can be because the Bible says in verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. Now we could break down lasciviousness in a, in a variety of ways, but I'm just going to do this for simplicity purposes tonight. Have given themselves over unto pleasure. Now look at this though. I want something I want you to note. The Bible does not say that they are past feeling and then they are given over unto pleasure. But they give themselves. They give themselves over unto pleasure and to work all uncleanness. Look at the wording with greediness. Right there is just, you know, no no, no, no conscience. They greedily just work this work of uncleanness, of anything that's pleasurable, anything that's self-gratifying. They just bring it into their life. They don't really care and don't really feel as though there is any negative impact in all of that. But then starting with verse 25, the Apostle Paul gives us an this is not a conclusive list. This is what I'd call a sample list. You know, sometimes you, 
you, someone says, well, give me an idea. Well, that's what Paul was doing, giving them an idea, giving them a sample list. He gives them a sample list of items to put off or to abstain from. And there's just a few here throughout the Scripture in particular that uh, stuck out to my mind that he spoke of putting off or abstaining from lying, anger, stealing, corrupt speech. He says, because you're, you're no, you don't walk like the other Jews. So put off, put off lying. Paul, why in the world do you put something so trivial, menial up like lying? Why, why would, I mean, you, you could have said fornication or, you know, and you just, you know, you're giving a sample list here and you're putting a little pup out there called lying. That's exactly why I believe Paul put lying in the list. Because the view of society, the view of church, the view of humanity sometimes is it that it is such a little menial, just not a very grand... I mean, seriously, harmless, innocent. We a lot of times underestimate a lie. You've heard it stated, it's just a lie. Yeah, little white lie. Definition is a lie is a statement that is contrary to fact and spoken with the intent to deceive. Paul included in the list because the so-called innocent lie was the very thing that tripped up the first family in the garden. The lie. And contrary to being innocent as society wishes to paint it right now, it is very much so putrid enough to send a soul to hell. I mean, we, we do. I mean, there's a big underestimation concerning a lie. Label it half-truth. We put all kinds of labels on it. That's a lie. Because whenever they were speaking in the book of Revelation, they were speaking of the tree of life and entering into the gates into that city. These are they which were without that city. Dogs. And this struck me funny today just when I read that. It, that doesn't mean a literal dog. I just about solved someone's issue about whether their dog went to heaven. It's without the city gate. Usually any time they use the terminology dogs in scripture, it's reproachful, someone impure-minded, so on and so forth. Dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers. I might get a fight on my hand and tell somebody their dog ain't in heaven. Whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I don't believe this is a this is a, a small thing. This is a major thing. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 19 and verse number five uh, states this, Tyler. Are you with me, buddy? All right. A false witness shall not be unpunished. And he that speak of lies shall not escape. Paul says we, we don't walk like the other Gentiles. It's just a lie. Well, the first sin that was judged in the New Testament church of Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, guess what it was? Lie. Uh-huh. Matter of fact, 1 John 2, 21 tells us that no lie is of the truth. Yes. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, no lie is of the truth. Furthermore, let's consider what is the nature of a lie. What is the nature of the lie? John 8, 44, Jesus speaking, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar 
and the father of it. The devil's a liar. So here's what happened. Jesus is talking to these people who desired, or if you will, lusted, if you want to use the same word that he used, lusted to kill Jesus. Some of them desired or lusted to lie on him and did lie on Jesus. He told them that their father was the devil. These are people that were saying, our father is Abraham. Read it in John 8. Saying, our father is Abraham. He says, you tell lies just like your daddy tells lies. Your father not Abraham. Your father's the devil. Because you had the same lust and desires that your daddy has. He lusted to tell lies and he lusted after being a murderer. You do the same. You're of your father, the devil. Paul says, we don't walk as the other Gentiles. We have a different daddy. <laughs> it's someone that's slipping with lies left and right. You're not of a daddy Jesus. You're not of a father Abraham. You're of your father, the devil. Amen. And notice the reason why Paul is reiterating why we don't do this. Not just because we're not like them. Because notice what he says in the scripture of verse number 25. For we are members one of another. We're supposed to be in this different body, baptized by a different spirit into this body. We're members of one another. So whenever you tell your lie, that didn't just hurt the one that you told the lie to. That hurts you because we're supposed to be members of one another. Amen. Secondly, put off anger. Anger. Everybody say anger. Definition, anger is an emotion, arousal, caused by something that displeases us. Paul goes on later in this chapter, verse 31, and he lists a lot of other shades or hues of anger. In Ephesians 4, 31, he said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. We have these extensions of anger, bitterness, wrath, clamor, evil speaking, malice, all extensions of anger. If I were just to give short little definitions of these, when we talk about malice, malice is kind of the smoldering anger. Clamor is, whenever you look up and you study the, 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 the Greek definition of it, it is the loud talking or yelling portion of anger. Whenever you get to the evil speaking, it's, it's talking about the insulting or sarcastic portion of anger. Whenever you're talking about wrath, it's talking about anger in action, destroying, or might I say, the explosive part of anger. Now, let me tell you, I've, I've said this before, but God taught me some things today. Whenever a person says it takes a lot to make them angry, probably what that really means is it means it takes a lot for them to be wrathful. It takes a lot for them to explode. Many times they were angry all along, but they held it in until it erupted. It exploded. 
And he said, notice, he said, he said in verse 26, he said, be ye angry. That may, I mean, a lot of us would like to stop right there and get a lot of comfort from that. <laughs> be ye angry. All right, go on a tirade right here. Hallelujah. Feel it coming on. Be angry and sin not. So it isn't, it isn't that the Lord was saying, be ye not angry. No. He said, be ye angry. Just don't sin when you're angry. And he goes on to say, don't let your anger roll over to the, these ain't rollover minutes like on the phone. Don't let your anger roll over, you know, to the next day. Amen. We state it in different, if we could state it in accounting, uh, accounting terms, let's reconcile your angry books before the end of each day. Proverbs 51 says this. I just want to share a few verses here on anger. Proverbs 51, a soft answer does what? Turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Proverbs then 15 verse 18 says, a wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Now notice, it said he that is slow, slow to anger, not he that's slow to wrath, not he that's slow to the explosion that's been angry all along, just exploded, but he that's slow to anger, the very fountainhead, the very beginning of all this. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse number 9 says, Be not everybody say hasty. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. Don't be quick angered. Don't be hasty in thy spirit. Or don't be just on the edge that just had a flip of a switch. You could be mad. It might not just be, you know, sometimes you, you, you might anger quick because you got an you easy trigger. Look what he said. For anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Anger resteth in the bosom of fools. What I deduce from this, anger may be in a wise person. Anger may be in a wise person. It probably is in a wise person. But at rest, it's comfortable in a fool. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse number 4. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. Hope we can help us right here. Listen to me. A person does not have to be a ruler to have the spirit of a ruler. Okay? It says the spirit of a ruler. You don't have to be a ruler to have the spirit of a ruler to rise. But what is the spirit of a ruler, Pastor? Well, the spirit of a ruler may be a controlling spirit, a domineering spirit, Nevertheless, Scripture tells me that my response to that type of spirit, my response can prevent an offense. You want, you, keep the Scripture up there, please. If the spirit of the ruler rise up, spirit of the ruler, domineering spirit, controlling spirit, my response can prevent an offense. If... We maintain our place and yield without becoming angry and wrathful and clamoring and evil speaking and all these other things, lashing out. Look what it does to the spirit of a domineering, controlling person. It disarms them. 
It disarms the spirit of the controller because what they're expecting whenever they're doing their controlling, domineering spirit of the ruler thing, they're expecting for someone to arise and then they can use their controlling spirit to control and usurp authority over the battle that's about ready to rage. But whenever you don't, game over. You take away their power, not by force. You take away their power by not giving in to what they're desiring to happen. Amen. So, look what he says at the culmination of these two verses. He says, neither give place to the devil. Because lying and anger, unresolved anger, gives place to the devil. So don't allow it. Gives a place for him to have to fill. I left this one lastly. Lastly, in the list of some of those I talked about and define bitterness an extension of anger because bitterness is nothing more but unresolved anger bitterness is unresolved anger and, and I'm just sharing this tonight just for us as a body but a key phrase that reveals bitterness is whenever a statement or story is prefaced by I don't mean to bring something up from the past but or I'm not trying to bring something up, but what is about ready to take place is some words that are laced with, that has a tinge of bitterness in them. Amen. A tinge of bitterness in them. And Paul, the apostle, there in verse number 31, put his finger on the primary reason for bitterness, and that was unforgiveness. Look at it in verse number 32. The primary reason for bitterness is that there was never any forgiveness. Going on things we should put off, stealing. So we don't have no thieves around here, stealing. That was a big problem, though. You've got to understand the, the culture. That was a big problem. Remember the great temple, Diana? They also housed their, their riches there. And it was also an asylum for someone who had done wrong. I don't know who ever put those two together. But boy, they must have been behind the door when the Lord was handing out brains. You know, here's where we put our riches and this is where people that's done stuff like thievery have a safe place. So you understand why this is pertinent for the Ephesian church. John 10 and 10, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The thief, the devil is a thief. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said when, when the devil tempted Eve, he led her to become a thief. For she took the fruit that was forbidden. And she in turn made Adam a thief. So the first Adam was a thief that was cast out of paradise. But the last Adam, Christ, turned to a thief and said, today you shall be with me in paradise. And notice what Paul did concerning, he said, he said, in verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather. So you're not going to steal, but here's, here's, you know, you need something to replace that. You need some good therapy, you know, you need something to replace. You know, you've got to make a new rut in your brain. <laughs> he says, rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Look, look what Paul did here. This is very interesting to me. The apostle Paul took this idea of personal work to a higher level than that of personal gain. 
He didn't say, work with your hands so that you might have personal gain. He took it to a higher level than that. Paul says, work so that you might have to give to him that is in need. Wow. So Paul saw the stealing, but it wasn't just, it wasn't constricted not by working and getting personal gain, it wasn't taking, so you, you just don't steal no more, so now you just work and get personal gain. No, that's not how he's seen the problem solved. He says it's solved by you working and then having the ability to give to somebody that's in need. Because, see, before you was a taker. You was a taker before. And if you just work and you get personal gain, you still get all that's yours. He says, but we're changing you from a taker to a giver. You don't walk as other Gentiles walk. We're trying to, and let me tell you, just as a side note overall, let me tell you one of the, one of the things that I believe is a great desire of the Lord concerning this is that God wants his people to be financially sound if they can be to a certain degree so that what they get in their life, if they have over and above of excess of what they need is so that they can help other people. Missionaries, home missionaries. That is the purpose and divine uh, mind of God that we would just not work for the idea of personal gain but for the idea of being able to contribute where there's need. Amen. Number four, he said, lay aside corrupt speech. The word corrupt means this in the scripture there. That which is worthless, bad, or rotten. We know from scripture the mouth and heart are connected. Matthew 12, 34. The Bible says, O generation of vipers, how can ye be in evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. There is a connection between our mouth and our heart. Now look, think with me. I know, I got five minutes, think with me. One of the means that Peter used, listen, to further discount his association with Jesus and the other disciples, the third time that the maid came to him and said, you're one of them, you have been with Jesus and accused him of being so, the means and way which he discounted that at the third time, more than just saying, no, I wasn't with them, no, I wasn't a part. The way to put the nail in the coffin to discount what was going on of Matthew 26, 74, the Bible says, then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man, and immediately the cock crew. Two times this has already happened. He just said, I don't know the man. But he was taking it to another level. If I can be of any convincing to them that I have nothing to do with the Lord or the other disciples, I'll do it by the way I talk. And if Peter used that as a last resort to dissociate himself with Christ, then we need to be mindful of our speech and how we speak. Is it corrupt? Is it worthless? Is it rotten? Is it bad? Is it shady? Amen. Because it's going to say something concerning our relationship and our association with Christ. Amen. Even whenever the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Jews and the Gentiles that were under sin. Notice, they were under sin. 
when he was speaking to them in this particular scripture of Romans 3.13. He said these words. Now he's talking to Jews and Gentiles under sin. He's saying their throat, your throat, is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of ass is under their lips. He's saying their throat, the place of the larynx, the place where the voice box is, is an open sepulcher. Now the word open there is not as, as in an available sepulcher, but as in not closed sepulcher. It's an open sepulcher, but one that is in use. Why did Martha say when the Lord came and that he said, roll away the stone to the sepulcher? She says, Lord, it's been four days. It's going to stink. Opaline sepulchers have a means or reason or they just do, they just stink. He was saying these Jews and Gentiles that were under sin, their throat, their voice, their speech was as a open, it stunk. Those that were under sin. So if we're not as other Gentiles, we're no longer under that umbrella of sin, then our speech should not be worthless. It should not be bad. It should not be rotten. And it for sure should not stink. Our speech is the spokesperson of our heart. Corrupt, worthless, bad, rotten, stinky speech. (laughs) If I could say it like that tends to flow from a corrupt, worthless, bad, rotten, stinky heart. Jesus even called them vipers there back in Matthew 12, 34. How can you be an evil speak good things? Paul says, look what he says concerning this speech aspect in verse 29. But that which is good to the use of edifying, there's that word edify again speech for the purpose of edifying or building up or promoting another's growth so in closing if you'll notice in verse 30 when we think or we act or we walk contrary to the spirit that lives inside of us we've been born again by that grieves that spirit that grieves that spirit we make the Holy Ghost sorry put it in terms that we can all grasp a hold of have you ever been with someone that said or did something that wasn't of the best of judgment maybe the wrong spirit and you was with them and it embarrassed you I know I have I wanted to find if there was a big enough rock that could cover my body Uh, I wanted at that listen to be quite frank they might have even been so called friend of mine but in a moment, did something that, man, I just, whew, but just kind of just stupid. You know what? At that point in time, I didn't want to be associated with them. They're by themselves. <laughs> you know what the Holy Ghost does? Whenever some words come about our mouth and some actions take place and some of our walk is skewed sometimes, it makes the Holy Ghost want to say, I don't know who they are. <laughs> They're on their own. <laughs> They're by themselves. We're not friends right now. It grieves the Spirit. Grieves the Spirit. So there's times that the Spirit of God is embarrassed by our thoughts, by our actions, 
doesn't want to be associated with us. And dare I say, if those thoughts and actions become a lifestyle, he won't be associated with us. If you'll stand with me tonight, the Apostle Paul started chapter 4 telling us to keep the unity, keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's what he started this whole chapter starting with. And so he ends up, though, in that last verse, giving us a prescription for how to make that happen. He says, be kind, be tenderhearted, and be forgiving. And he says, here's the example for the forgiveness that you should give to others, even as God has forgiven you. So forgive somebody. How should I forgive that one, Lord, or this one, God? The same way in which I have forgiven you. And it's very humbling to consider how we should forgive somebody else in light of how he has forgiven you and I. Brings everything full circle. Very humbling. Hallelujah. We bow our heads. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.